This podcast is brought to you by ReformationSites.com, church websites for a modern Reformation. Hear more at the conclusion of today's program. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. My name's Carl Truman. I'm professor at Grove City College in Western Pennsylvania, and I'm here with my usual co-host and friend, the Reverend Todd Pruitt, who is pastor of Harrisonburg uh, Presbyterian Church. No, I, I call it Covenant Presbyterian Covenant Church, Presbyterian Carl, Church but, in Harrisonburg, okay. Virginia. And yeah. you're still in the PCA, not the PCUSA. I'm, I'm still in the PCA. Is, is yes. there a difference these days? Or uh, we, we're, we, we are trying to minimize the difference as much as possible. I, that's what I thought. So uh, <laughs> the OPC, we're ready whenever you want. You got Too many weirdos in the OPC. Together. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, yeah. I should probably not comment on that. <laughs> Actually, I think it's Megan. We, we have a guest, I think, whose brother might be a pastor in the OPC. Well, he has now moved the Free Church of Scotland continuing, so he's oh, no longer in the OPC. Okay. Wow. Interesting. That reminds me, I should introduce our guest, of course. Uh, yes. Our guest is, is returning. Uh, a, a, is it, I think, the third time you've been on, Megan? Mm, I think it might be only the second. Only the second. Oh, okay. The first time was so good, it was like two. It was like two, yeah. Two in one. And she's risking her reputation again. She is. She's Megan Hill. She will be well known to many of you as an editor at the Gospel Coalition. She's also a pastor's wife, a pastor's daughter, and the mother of four pastor's kids. That sounds bad when you say it. She's the mother of four kids for one pastor, I should say. So, uh, as I was reading, I was on a that, roll that here today, good, but it sounds bad. So, you know, there are some things that even the English accent can't yeah, quite fix, yes. Carl. Okay, so. well, having insulted our guest so many times in the in the opening it's great to have you on megan thank you it's always great to be here and of course the greatest fact about megan is that you are a grove city grad grove city college western pennsylvania absolutely greatest college on earth <laughs> couldn't agree more uh, we're here to talk to megan about uh, another book she's written megan is a very prolific author all of her books are incredibly useful. Listeners may remember that last year we uh, interviewed her about a book on life in the local church, which I, for my money is one of the most practical and helpful books written on the local church for some years now. Extremely Indeed. good. Well, this year she's come out with a book entitled Partners in the Gospel, 50 Meditations for Pastors and Elders' Wives. I'm sure that many of you, like I do, struggle with what do you do for devotional material? Uh, how can you find something that, that keeps you interested in the Bible and yet also speaks to your everyday life? Well, Megan has produced this wonderful little book uh, designed to be a help to the wives of elders and pastors, uh, often forgotten, I think, in, in our ecclesiology. 
last week I was giving a talk at Grove on marriage and somebody at the end asked, well, you know, what about any tips for a pastor's wife? And I started to give some tips. Then I thought, well, my wife's in the audience. Maybe I should ask her to give the tips here. And she waxed eloquent for about 10 minutes. Uh, and if anyone in the audience wanted to be a pastor's wife by the time she'd finished, I think they were looking for out for another corner <laughs> at that point. Elders' wives, pastors' wives, often the silent victims in the kind of things that go on in churches. They're the ones who have to stand by and watch as their husbands are criticized or critiqued, uh, discouraged, et cetera, et cetera, within the ministry. And this book is designed precisely for them. So welcome to the program, Megan. And tell us a little bit about the background for this book. What inspired you to come up with this uh, topic? Well, so, uh, you know, I'm a pastor's kid and now I'm a pastor's wife. So life in sort of ministry families is not a new thing for me. Um, uh, it's kind of been, I mean, since I was one and a half, I guess, when my dad uh, took his first church. Um, so it's something I'm very familiar with. But then um, what happened was I was at a conference and I was on a panel for pastors and elders' wives about, you know, encouraging pastors and elders' wives. And it was a breakout session at a conference and the room was just packed and, you know, there were people lining up in the back and then we had time for questions and it was just, you know, sometimes you, you're in a panel discussion and there's, a, they open for questions and then there's just kind of this awkward silence, but no, I mean, it was just question after question after question. And then the panel finished and people were lining up to talk to the panelists afterwards. And, um, and it was at that point that I thought, I think there's really a lot, you know, I think there are a lot of pastors and elders wives and elders wives, even, you know, ruling elders or lay elders, depending on what your polity is, but who were there kind of going, nobody's ever answered questions mm. for us either. Mm. Um, and it was at that time that I started thinking along these lines. And then an editor from PNR who published the book was there. And after the panel, she came up to me and said, I think there's got to be a book in this. And I agreed. When I first heard that, that you had been working on this book, I was really glad because as Carl kind of indicated as, as he was speaking earlier, there's a real need uh, for this. Um, there's a lot of pastors and elders in the United States, lots. And that means there's a lot of pastors and elders' wives in the United States, and they are given uh, very little uh, attention. You know, the old joke used to, when I was younger in ministry, a brand new youth minister, you know, the joke used to be, well, you know, is, is the minister's wife going to be, you know, the choir director, the children's ministry director, that kind of thing. Now, we've we, we've seen that move in a better direction over the years. That said, um, one of my concerns for pastor's wives being married to a pastor's wife is that sometimes we see pendulum swing from, from one extreme to another. And so it almost like it went from the pastor's wife needs to be seen everywhere to suddenly now, is our pastor even married? You know, wh who is his wife? And she becomes almost an unknown quantity. And my experience has been some of his, there's been a healthy impulse to say, let's not expect our pastor's wife to be and do everything. Let's take that pressure off of her. But I, I, my, my sense in, in from what I've seen and the people I've talked to over the years is that in an effort to try to, to, to relieve a pastor's wife of pressure in some areas, she then becomes invisible. Um, almost like let's not bother our pastor's wife by calling her or inviting her somewhere. You know, we don't want to bother the pastor's wife. And, and what I'm hearing so much of today, and you address this in a number of different ways in this book. And I, and I wonder if you just speak to it a little bit is, is the loneliness and the isolation now, which oftentimes the wives of elders and pastors deal with 
is is that one of the things that, because you address that in your book, I take it that you either have firsthand experience with that, or you've spoken to a lot of elders' wives who have experience in that isolation. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Todd, in that um, I think that if there are sort of over expectations, um, that can be a problem, but at least you're feeling useful. You know, right. people are yeah. coming to me for counsel. They're yeah. asking me to help with the Bible study. They're asking me to, you know, whatever, organize the nursery, you know, whatever your church yes. context is. But then I think you're, you are right. And I hadn't, I hadn't actually put my finger on that sort of being a pendulum situation, but I think you're right. Um, that, that now I think people are sort of aware, oh, she might be overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. So let's not over ask her. But then when everybody thinks, oh, we're not going to go right. to her, then nobody does. And I think you're right. So I think there is, I mean, there's always for pastor's wives, sort of this nebulous, what is my role? You know, what is my identity? I don't, I don't know, you know? Um, and so then when people aren't asking you for counsel or to help with things, it can feel very lonely. And I have, you know, I have two sort of meditations in the book. And one of them is, I feel like I'm doing too much. And one of them is I feel like I'm not doing enough. And I heard both of those, you know, as I was sending out chapters to friends and other pastors' wives to get their feedback, I heard kind of both of those things. And I think you're right that pastors' wives um, can feel isolated in not doing enough. And I think it's okay for churches to hear if you see that your pastor's wife is gifted in some area, ask her to serve just the Absolutely. way you would any other person in the church that you see has gifts. Exactly. And, and the key is to have an atmosphere where if, if she is overworked and can't do it, then that's okay. Just like it would be okay for anybody else, but ask her like she's anybody else because she is, she's a church member who needs the fellowship of the church and needs to serve um, because she has gifts that God has given her. Uh, to serve. And so that's when I, when people ask me, you know, how should I treat my pastor's wife or how should I treat your wife? I say, what my wife would love is to be treated like an ordinary church member so that, you know, if there's something she can do well, you know, ask her about that. If, you know, but just to be treated like an ordinary church member. And I I wanted to ask you also, I, I really appreciate the structure of the book. You, you kind of alternate between these, what I might call privileges and joys that a, that a, that a pastor's wife and elder's wife can have. And, and then you kind of juxtapose that with particular challenges that are kind of the side B or whatever of, of those particular privileges and, and joys speak to that a little bit. Yeah, that's just definitely been my experience in the church. I will say, you know, I grew up as, as a pastor's daughter and people ask me, Oh, you grew up as a pastor's daughter. And then you married a pastor. And what I always say is, my parents made it very clear that it was a privilege to serve the church and that there was no better place to be than serving God's people in the church. And that is a lesson that I believed as a child and that, you know, that I has been borne out in the rest of my life that it, that serving God's people in whatever capacity the Lord calls you mm-hmm. is one of the highest privileges of your life. Mm-hmm. But you're right that when you're in sort of this public role, when you're married to somebody who's making decisions that are not always popular, when you're in this um, place where people are looking to you, um, there there are some challenging things that come with that. And I think, uh, particularly in a book that's specifically for an audience of pastors and elders' wives, it's okay to say, here are some hard things, and the scripture has something to say to those too. Yeah. 
What about children, Megan? I mean, you have four kids of your own, and I know that some of the biggest challenges facing, particularly pastors, but also elders, relate to to their children who are also often under scrutiny from the congregation and from whom one might say higher things are expected than from you know the ordinary church member. Uh, how do you navigate, negotiate that? Do you have words of comfort or encouragement for somebody who's whose kids are causing them heartache at this particular time as, as church leaders or elders? Yeah. Um, that was sort of two questions in one, I think. I think, you know, one of the, on the sort of the positive side, um, I can tell you what my parents did, which was very helpful to me. And I've sought to emulate with my own children is that when it comes to the expectations of church members, as much as possible, my parents tried to position it as the church is on your side and they want what's good for your soul. And so do the people in your Sunday school class expect you to know the Bible? Well, that's great. You should know the Bible. That's good for your soul to know the Bible. Look, they're cheering for you to know the Bible. Mm. Um, do the people in the church expect you to be there every time the church meets for worship? Well, that's great because that's where Jesus is going to be. That's where his name's going to be exalted. That's what's good for your soul. So the people in the church want what's good for you. They're on your team um, when, when, they're, when their expectations are biblical, you know, that yeah. to position it as much as possible, that these people are rooting for your soul and that mm -hmm. the reason that they want you to know about the Bible, the reason they want you to pray in prayer meeting, the reason they want you to show up is, is because our, those are all good things. And so that's good that they would want them for you. Um, so that really helped me, at least as a kid, to not resent those expectations, but to see them actually as good. And honestly, isn't that true for all of us in the church, that when church people want us to be there or they expect us to know things about God, that's, that's, that's the Lord's mercy to us, mm -hmm. that, that those expectations would be sort of cheering us on or pushing us on in the holiness that the Lord wants for us anyway. Um, to your other question, uh, to the sort of the heartache and the sadness of children who have gone astray. And I, I do think that pastors and elders wives feel that very deeply. And I think, I think all people who have children who are rebelling feel it deeply, but then perhaps there's sort of an added sense of failure that pastors and elders wives and their families put on themselves because they're so public, you know, mm -hmm. to see their children then rebelling. And I mean, you know, I can only say to those people in my own congregation who feel that way, that, that it's all of grace and that it's the spirit that changes hearts and that, that you live before the Lord and imperfectly and with much repentance, but, but it's the Lord who changes them and we keep praying and, you know, and it's, it's not you. I mean, yeah. it's, it's the spirit that has to work. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. And and one of the things that I've tried to, as I've talked with pastors and elders over the years who have a child or children that are in the far country, so to speak, or, or just not walking with the Lord, is I try to encourage them. Um, first of all, don't lie about it. I've got, I've got a child who's struggling. I've got a child who's not walking with the Lord right now. Don't lie about it. And don't be ashamed. Um, and don't be ashamed of your child. You don't have to be happy about what they're doing. In fact, be honest about your grief about what they're doing if they're far from the Lord. Um, but emphasize your continued love for them. They're still very dear to you. Um, I'm, I'm sad. It breaks my heart about the choices they're making. But I sure do love him. I sure do love her. And uh, uh, there's real freedom 
in just that kind of candor. Um, and I, what I found is that oftentimes ministers or elders will, who, who have a wayward child will want to cover that up because they're, they're ashamed of it or, or might, they feel like, you know, this, this might disqualify me. And so I, I need to, to kind of cover over this to a certain extent. And that's not healthy. It's not healthy for you. And you know what? If your child is at home or near you, they're going to get a sense that you're covering for them or maybe ashamed of them. And that's not healthy for them. Uh, either. Um, but yeah, I, I hope that any pastor or elder, elder's wife, pastor's wife would feel the freedom to be honest about that. This is what my child is struggling with. Pray for him. And that in turn then creates a culture in the church where yes. other people, because you know, there are people in the pews yes. who are struggling with a wayward child who are ashamed of a wayward child, yes. you know, Hey, look, this is how my pastor and elders or elder's wife has dealt with this. That gives me hope for how I can respond in love and grace as well. Yeah. To what extent, Megan, do you think it's helpful for elders' wives to have fellowship together, specifically as elders' wives? Uh, I know that some churches and, and some elders' wives feel very strongly they're not elders, you know, they are, they're just members of the church, et cetera, et cetera. But to what extent have you found it helpful to have fellowship with those who are in the, basically in, have the same calling as you have to be the wife of an elder or a pastor? Yeah, I think that's a good question because I think we always are sort of afraid of this, like having a shadow session or, you know, the, the elders' wives getting together and secretly conducting church business under the radar or whatever, you know. Um, and and I, I mean, I do think, I suppose, that gossip or, you know, somehow trying to control the our husband's workings, you know, I mean, that certainly would not be healthy, uh, not a good idea. Um, but I, I've never been in a church where that was really a temptation or a problem. Um, I feel like I naturally have relationships with other elders' wives, partly just because they're the ones that always show up, you know, mm. and they tend to be the ones that are always there and I'm always there. And so we get to have fellowship, but it doesn't exclude anyone else who's always there too, you know, um, yeah. elder's wife or not. Yeah. Megan, as you've communicated over the years, and, and also then particularly in, as you've been thinking about this book and the kinds of conversations you've had, um, is there a common uh, theme in terms of here's the hardest thing you know, about being a, a, an elder's wife or a pastor's wife, or, or is it across the board, or, or is there one thing that kind of, or one category of things that kind of rises to the top of the things you've heard the most? I think it's hard um, I think loneliness is one thing, which mm -hmm. Carl and I already talked a little bit about. Who can I be friends with? Do I have friends? Does anyone understand me? Um, I think loneliness is one thing. I think criticism is probably the other thing. Mm -hmm. The people in the church who are my friends, who I'm trying to worship alongside every Sunday, they do not like a decision that my husband has made. Or maybe, and often this is the case, they don't like the, a decision that the whole group of elders has made. Mm -hmm. And maybe even my husband wasn't even, you know, on board with that. But because yeah. he, of the submission to the brethren, he's he, we can't say anything about our individual yeah. opinion. I, I agree with you. I didn't like it either. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so you're sort of suffering under this criticism that maybe isn't even justly directed mm -hmm. in your direction. Yeah. In your years as being a, a, a pastor's wife, how what has been most helpful for you in terms of 
um, avoiding isolation or loneliness. I mean, certainly, I, I, I imagine there have been times where you have felt very lonely. What has worked best for you to, to push against that? I have a couple of friends who are on the mission field. And I figure that they are way more isolated than mm. I will ever be. And mm. so I reach out to them. Like, yeah. I'm just kind of looking like, okay, who's the person who's more isolated than me in ministry? It's yeah. her. All right. I'm going to text her. I'm going to email her. I'm going to do a Zoom call with her. Yeah. And good. those people, they help me to put my own isolation in perspective, too. And yeah. I think that I can serve them by reaching out to them. Right. How important is, has it been for you to have some friends that are not members of the church that you go to um, for your own health and, and well-being. Yeah, that is pretty important. I have a couple of friends either from other churches um, mm -hmm. that we've just met through just, you know, kids in school together, you know, that kind of thing, or friends who are pastor's wives in other places. And that's been super helpful to me. But I also, I also will die on the hill that I can have friends in my own church. Too. Yes, absolutely. And that there's not some wall that says that I can't ask for prayer. I can't say I'm struggling. I can't, you know, whatever, share, share pictures of my new haircut with people actually <laughs> in my church. And that's yeah. really, you, you laugh, but the other day, somebody in my church texted me a picture of her new haircut. And I said to my husband, I said, I think we're actually like real friends. Like she doesn't think she doesn't think texting me a picture of her new haircut is too frivolous for the pastor's wife. She actually likes me. You know, that's good. That's and good. that was great. Yeah. Every time my wife gives me a number one, I text it to Todd and I say, "Hey man, <laughs> what do you think is. of the latest number yeah. one?" So, <laughs> Megan, how do you uh, how do you overcome getting jaded? You know, I was not a. I was only a pastor for six years. But what struck me was the. Uh, it's long enough the, to know it's hard, though. Yeah, it's long enough to know that the people who are always grateful are the people you do the least for, and the people that you actually do a lot for are often those who aren't grateful at all, and that can be a very uh, jading sort of experience. Mm -hmm. Have you uh, avoided? becoming, I mean, you're, you seem a very happy person. You've written a beautiful book. You've written a number of wonderful books. Have you avoided becoming jaded like me, if I can put it that way, make it very personal? Yeah, I think sort of practical level and big picture level, practical level, I just try to assume the best and just everybody's got issues and it's probably wasn't about me. It was probably something else in their life. I, you know, just they're mad. They're mad about something else. They're always going to be mad. Okay, fine. You know, just really trying to just go, Hey, judgment of charity. They were having a bad day. They're having a bad year, whatever, you know? Um, so super practical, then sort of big picture, um, it's really been important to me to cling to the truth of what the church is and that the, you know, the scripture calls it the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And, you know, so if God purchased the church with his own blood, then, you know, the few drops that I have shed in ministry, the few bruises, bruises that I've gotten are very small and it's for a very precious cause and mm -hmm. that Christ loves the church so much that he would come to redeem her and purify her. And also I think those theological truths are like optimistic, right? You know, read the book of revelation, you know, this down in the trenches and the, the mud and the bruises, 
this this is not the end of the story. I mean, it's going to be the heavenly Jerusalem coming down on the clouds. And I mean, it's going to the future of the church is assured. And so taking the long view is also helpful in the sort of hurtful moment. That's good. That's good. Um, Megan, what for you? I hope this isn't asking in a question like asking who your favorite child is, but what what is for you personally, your greatest joy, the thing that you enjoy the most about the role that God's given you? Hmm. Feeding people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love having, I mean, that's been one of the hardships of the past pandemic year is not being yes. able to have people over, but just having people over, hearing their stories, feeding them some food. Um, we used to do a Wednesday night thing before the pandemic when I would feed the whole church and it would just be nothing. I mean, it'd be ham sandwiches or it'd be yeah. baked potatoes or something, nothing fancy, but just anyone wanted to come and eat. And I just love the satisfaction of just feeding people and yeah. getting to talk to them. Yeah, that's good. That's good to hear. Um, one, one of the things, and, I, and I've mentioned this in the past, necessary to my survival in pastoral ministry has been my wife. That's not, and that's not me being patronizing i mean truly um necessary to my survival has been my wife and and where i really saw that happen was when we served in a hard church and you know some guys listen some pastors and their wives have to serve in hard churches for a long time god was very gentle with us and had us in a hard church for less than 5 years but um it was in those crisis moments where my awareness of the necessity of my wife as this partner who who keeps me grounded, who keeps me from at times it felt like from losing hope. That became very, very. I became very aware of that, and 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 the thing was, it, it required no special training on her part. It, it just required that she be a good Christian. I would come home literally unable to speak mm. because of the the things that were being done and she would see it on my face. And at that moment, she had a choice. She could either have launched into a, these people are so awful. How dare they treat you that way? Um, Which might've felt good for a second, but it would have ultimately made me much worse. And she never did that. And I, and now I think back and I, I can't, it's hard for me to believe that she was able to not do that. Cause I don't know that I could have done that because I would have been so mad. So how she avoided that is to this day remarkable to me. But the thing that she did is she'd see it on my face. She'd get the Bible out and start reading. She'd say, no, just stop, sit down. And she'd just start reading Psalms. And I, I don't know how a pastor in a hard situation can make it um, without that kind of support from his partner in life. And, and I, I say that to say, you who are pastors' wives and elders' wives, it is not patronizing to say to you, you are essential to your husband's well-being and, and ministry, and uh, you have an enormous capacity to, to help make him. Um, and I've experienced that firsthand very specifically. And um, so I, I just... I'm grateful for this book because it's for me the kind of thing to put in my wife's hand and for the other pastors and the elders in our church to put in their wives' hands as a 
you're really appreciated. And because of what you help your husband to shoulder, and let's face it, an elder's wife is helping her husband shoulder these things. Even if he does a great job of keeping confidences, she knows he's carrying a lot. And something like this book, as simple as as these daily devotionals are like, to me, they're like a, a lifeline to these sisters who are helping to carry something really heavy. And I'm so glad you wrote it. I'm really glad you wrote it. Thank you. That's so encouraging. That's exactly mm-hmm. what I hope that it will be. So. Yeah. And again, to our, to our listeners, um, the book is Partners in the Gospel, 50 Meditations for Pastors and Elders' Wives. It's by our friend Megan Hill, who's been a guest before. Many of you have read her previous book on the church, which I'm a huge fan of, um, which we read in our church as a churchwide reading challenge uh, last summer. And it was such a blessing to us. And, I'm, and I still get comments about the book that we read last summer. And now this one, um, which uh, I'm, I'm just so delighted to pass along to people. If you are a listener, please go to our website, mortificationofspin.org, and you can register to win a copy of this wonderful book by Megan Hill. It's published by PNR. Get a copy, get several copies, um, get them to the pastor's wives, the elders' wives in your life, and it will be a, a real blessing. And I would encourage elders that are able to, um, would be wise to read this. I was exhorted as I read this. Um, and one of the things it did was it, it kind of retenderized my heart all over again for my wife. And I just had some really sweet moments reading that and thinking again about the faithfulness of my wife, the long suffering of my wife. And it was just really, really good in that way. So, so folks, please get a hold of, of this great book. And if you're at our website, um, keep in mind that uh, the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals is uh, supported by your kind donations. And if you'd like them to continue uh, to provide this kind of content, you may make a donation. Megan, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Keep writing uh, these good books. You're doing, uh, you're doing us uh, a wonderful service, and we really appreciate your ministry. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we look forward to being with you next time on Mortification of Spin. She's in Rebeltown, and a preacher's daughter, she was baptized in dirty water. She holds tight me and the Bible on the back seat of my motorcycle. Left your daddy standing there preaching to Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. My wife's incredible. She took care of the baby all day, cooked a great dinner, and even went to a school meeting. And look at her. She looks better than any of her friends. She takes care of herself. 
gets her rest, does her sit-ups, watches her diet, and to make sure she gets enough iron and vitamins, she takes Geritol every morning. My wife. I think I'll keep her. So you'd like to do more with your church's website, especially in this day and age when keeping your members and visitors informed is so important. Hi, Eric here from Reformed Media. I've developed Reformation Sites as an easy-to-use website platform to help Reformed churches like yours reach out more effectively. With beautiful mobile-ready designs to choose from, helpful service, and useful features such as Sermon Manager, online bulletins, courses, and notifications, your website will be ready the next time a major event happens. It also integrates with other popular services like Sermon Audio, online donations, and live streaming with pricing that fits into any church budget. Take advantage of this month's special offer of 50% off the website setup fee by using the code 2021 to redeem the offer. The first 30 signups may also receive a free wordmark logo designed for their church. Go to reformationsites.com to get started today or call me, Eric, at 561-900-6886 to explore the possibilities. Reformation Sites, church websites for a modern reformation.